sometimes I'm a good friend and this weekend I finished Aurelia's book. Don't worry about when it came out. It was very good and you should all read it. This wasn't planned like where she forgot her meditation and had her book and I was saying this. This all just happened by coincidence for real. Uh, but it was delightful and it, and it fit really well with um, what I was thinking about when, when approaching this sermon series. You get to hold baby Hildy? That's a good baby. Yeah, that's, I'm jealous. Um, I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm focused. Aurelia and I recently had a conversation uh, and, and reminisced on the um, raised Catholic in the South to evangelical teen slash young adult to deconstructed with a bias towards the mystical burnout on religion adults. Um, that's, that's a pretty unique pipeline. I don't know if anybody else here has that one, but yeah, okay, a couple of you. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Um, and she talks a lot about that in, in her book, and, and it, uh, it resonated with me because I had similar experiences being in the South and being Catholic, and all of my friends were not. Uh, and so, like, I was not Christian. Like, I worshipped Mary, and all of that was bad. And I internalized a lot of that. It was very hard for me. Um, she covers it much better. Go check it out. But when I was thinking about cycles of faith, uh, and, and looking at that as a broad cycle of my own faith journey uh, and, and how we were kind of having a conversation about this series, what we were doing. I kind of had this idea of, of where I wanted to, to go and what my sermon was going to be about. And like happens regularly, that changed. Uh, usually it's when I like, go to lectionary text because I like to do that. And I'm like, oh, like, that's not what this text is about. I figure something else out. Sometimes it's when I come across something like in a podcast or in a book that I'm reading, and I get really fixated on it for like two or three weeks. Uh, you know, I get really nerdy about tea because I read a book about a, a monk and a robot who drank some tea and was really good. Uh, but what happened this time is it was both. Uh, hit the lectionary text, got into uh, a real nerdy period about Dorothy Day. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her. Super chill lady. Um, you should check her out. But what happened was there's this book called The Unruly Saint by an author named D.L. Mayfield that came out last uh, fall, winter, and is a really great look at Dorothy and her life and who she was. It's been on my reading list for a while. I picked it up a couple weeks ago. I've been at least Dorothy Day curious for like a long time. Again, being raised Catholic, I've, like I know that I heard that name somewhere in my childhood. I couldn't tell you if it was like positive, like, hey, we like this lady, or like, hey, this lady is the worst. Because again, Catholics in the South, you're probably not going to get a great view of Dorothy Day. I'm just going to throw that out there. But I remember that I knew who she was. Like I knew that name. I, I knew I, that she was this Catholic person, didn't know a ton about her. I remember in college, I had a professor who was super into Dorothy Day, would talk about her and her life, what, you know, and like find ways to make her relevant to what we were doing, things like that. And so, you know, got Dorothy Day quotes and little snippets until eventually I picked up her uh, autobiography uh, or memoir, The Long Loneliness, which you know, sounds like a really fun read. Uh, you should pick it up if you just, it, today is a great day for a read like that to just really get in your feelings and hate everything. I want to say that I've lived here my whole life and I know that we're in an El Nino season and so we're going to get a lot of rain and I'm great with that. If I thought I could live anywhere else, I would live in the Pacific Northwest where it was just like this all the time. I know some of you don't care for this and I'm sorry. This is it for me. I love it. <clears throat> I'm going to land the plane eventually. <laughs> the long loneliness, uh, she you, I, 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 got, I went from kind of knowing who she was to hearing these kind of 
not out of context quotes, but not really fully understanding what was going on to reading about Dorothy Day from Dorothy Day's perspective. It was like I was getting to know somebody who were telling me stories about themselves. I really enjoyed it. And so reading Mayfield's book, The Unruly Saint, kind of felt like hearing some of those stories again, hearing new stories about an old friend from like a mutual friend. It was really neat. I enjoyed that. And then she references and used a lot in her work the book by Dorothy Day's granddaughter, which I also then read after I read her book, because that's what you do. You get like, oh, I want to learn this thing, and now I'm going to do the next one. So I got this really interesting picture of Dorothy Day over the last month, recalling my, my experiences reading The Long Loneliness, reading about somebody else who had kind of studied her, and then reading from her granddaughter. And, and her book is about Dorothy's relationship with her daughter, Tamar, who is the mother of Kate, who has written the book. But not only does she examine her relationship with her mother and her mother's relationship to Dorothy, she also goes back and examines Dorothy's relationship to her mother and how that really has shaped all the way down who they are and who she is and what's gone on what i loved is that mayfield kind of early on in her book she calls dorothy our lady of perpetual conversion and i loved that i thought that was so cool and so i texted her really and said hey my sermon title is going to be chasing perpetual conversion so that's where we're at that's how we got there all right we're, we're doing some other things but she calls her Our Lady of Perpetual Conversion, and Dorothy, listen, Dorothy is a badass, okay? She, she never failed to see the world as it was and, and try to see if it could be another way. Everything she encountered that she thought was an injustice or a wrong or wasn't in line uh, when she had her own conversion to Catholicism later in life at around 30, um, even before that, she kind of went, hey, the, the order of things is not great. It's not right. There are people who are without. How can we fix that? There's so much. So she goes on to found the Catholic Worker Movement, which involves a newspaper that still exists today, uh, but, it, but it, it involves a lot of what they would call Catholic Worker Houses, Houses of... Um, does anybody know the word I'm looking for? Does anyone know the story? Uh, I'm going to miss it. House of Charity, Houses of... There's something. There's a word for it. I'll have to look it up. Anyway, but, but it, it, she goes on to highlight all the other things that, that Dorothy encountered and the changes she sought to make because of them. Because, as she says, Dorothy was Our Lady of Perpetual Conversion. And so she, she sees something new. She wants to change what's going on. She founds the Catholic Worker Movement with Peter Morin, uh, who she really says from, from the time... Positive hospitality. Thanks, Jed. I really appreciate that, man. Um, she she's really intentional to say that Peter Morin really is the the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, and and I say that because I think it's really important to understand a little bit of the way that Dorothy saw herself, which was not as a saint. She's on record saying over and over again, she thinks saints are boring and that they're not seen holistically as people. Is, Kate Hennessy, her granddaughter, is going to give us a pretty good picture of who she was as a person, which wasn't always a great mother. If you're founding a movement and um, producing an almost daily paper, you don't always have a lot of time for mothering, and you might outsource that to a boarding school at some point. You might outsource that to the people who are coming in and out of your apartment where you're feeding people all the time. And it might have a negative impact on your relationship until later years in your life and in your mother's life where that's reconciled, which, which Kate documents in her book. But she gives us a really honest view of who Dorothy was. She, she wants us to understand that she was a good woman who had these wonderful intentions, but she was also flawed. 
She wasn't perfect. And that, yes, she was had these changes, made these changes, experienced these changes, but they weren't always, they didn't always have positive outcomes in the end, despite what her intentions may have been. So in my life, I've found myself to be a little bit like uh, Dorothy in the way that Mayfield calls her Our Lady of Perpetual Conversions. I want to change, to learn, to grow. I feel stagnant when um, I hold on to something too tightly or for too long, particularly in my faith life. Never understood the idea, you know, people talk about, you know, they, oh, I, I wouldn't want to change what I think about that, or, you know, I've, I've thought this for 20 years, and I would never change that. And I'm sorry that I said that like an old white man, but most people who say that are old white men, so I apologize. But what I experience is, I, I think about it, I go, man, when I was 15, <laughs> 20 years ago, if the things that I thought and believed and held closely at that time, I haven't taken them and at least thoughtfully evaluated them, maybe they didn't change. Man, what a waste of time. If my experiences as a person, as a friend, as a parent, as a child, as a, uh, whatever, haven't caused me to re-examine those things and potentially see change, I'm wasting my time. I hope that things that I held as core truths at 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 look different by the time I'm in my 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. I really, really hope that's the case. And so far, I've experienced to be. Some of the major conversions that I've experienced would be when I made that switch as a teenager from being in the, the Roman Catholic Church to being involved in a very uh, large evangelical church uh, where, where I lived, because that's where my friends were. And so I had um, what you know, we would have called in, in those circles a, a conversion experience, a salvation experience, and um, that was a big deal. And so I kind of moved into making that a big core part of my identity for a long time. Through that, I found myself uh, in a place, there was a, a year of my life that I uh, lived in New Orleans and had experiences there that made me question a lot of what I thought about uh, homeless people or about poverty or about food and all these kinds of things. And so I kind of moved from that, um, you know, kind of large uh, tent evangelical to, to, to being more comfortable in some of the social justice aspects of that and seeing what scripture had to say about that and how faith informed that and things like that. And that really moved me to a place of going, oh, does some of this suck? Uh, and it did. And, and then to being in a place where I went through again, what a lot of people in our community would look at as, as deconstruction and, and finding myself more comfortable in a place that embraces the mystery of faith, which is something that I had as a child in the Catholic Church, uh, even, even that phrase. Uh, and, and so being in a place where that means more to me than it ever did. And so I, I know that, that change or conversion of thought or practice or belief can be difficult. It can be intimidating. It can be scary at times. For many of us, it's what kept us in other communities we were in, whether that was faith communities, work situations, friend communities, maybe our families, whatever the case may be, uh, there were times where those things kept us there because it's intimidating and scary to think about, well, okay, this may have changed for me, but what if I stay here and help it change for these people? What if I'm an agent of change? What if I bring about different thought here? Uh, and I also know that for many people who are here, you're in this community because that didn't pan out. Uh, that's what happened for me. Um, and, and again, I know there are other stories like that here. 
Because what we found was that so many of the people in those circles weren't interested in perpetual conversion or even more than one conversion. The focus and the heartbeat is a single conversion from not believing in Jesus to believing in Jesus and then taking all the stuff from the not believing in Jesus side and reevaluating that and examining that and changing it to this, but then no more reevaluating or examining. And maybe that's not everybody's experience. It was my experience, and I know it was the experience for other people who are here. So that a lot of those folks aren't interested in conversion of life beyond that single moment that, that capital S saves them from, you know, hell, eternal conscious torment, getting out of that, like, high five. The only kind of conversion that anybody needs, again, in, in some of those circles, is, is just that one to become like the other people in those circles. Never mind a conversion uh, away from scarcity mindset, away, a conversion away from, that says, um, I need to get everything I can get, and that way there's more for me. There's only so much. It's not pie. A conversion of thought away from that. A conversion in our minds away from people seeing living, <clears throat> seeing people living on the streets as a drain on our society, on our culture, to seeing them as people uh, to be known and understood. Conversion away from a belief in Christian supremacy for all people in all places and a better understanding that one of the reasons I happen to be and find myself as a Christian is that I was born in the South of, uh, of the U.S. in the late 80s. I was born somewhere else in a different time. I might have been something else. That's okay. My experience with the people in this room and those watching online, hello, uh, has been one that's a bent towards perpetual conversion, that, the, that you are not people who are afraid of that. You are people who welcome it and people who embrace it, people who think deeply and love widely, as we like to say here. Is that, did I get that right? Sometimes I get them, oh, hey, it's right there on the screen. Fantastic. Sometimes I get it mixed up in my head, so I'm really glad I got it right. Think widely, love deeply. Yeah, okay, that's fantastic. It's interchangeable. And we did that on purpose. I wasn't here. I don't know. In the, in the text that we read today uh, from Scripture, we, we see a couple different things. It, it's less explicit in the psalm, but if you go back to the psalm, and I'm going to read from a different, different translation, uh, but uh, the teaching of the Holy One restores or is restoring the soul. The decrees of the fount of wisdom are making wise. The precepts of the all-knowing God are rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the fire of Sinai are enlightening the eyes. The reverence of the Most High is standing forever. These are active things that are happening. They are not single, one-time events. They are actively going on. To, to think <clears throat> that there's a God who doesn't expect that of us doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That, that, that it would be single, one-time use that doesn't make a lot of sense. Thank God that, that she doesn't expect that of us. And I can't believe that the Roman centurion who would have left the experience of um, understanding who Jesus is at the end, oh my, hey, this was the son of God, um, isn't going to leave that experience and not examine any other aspects of their life. 
that they're going to have participated in the execution that um, you know maybe from as far back as you know putting the um, the crossbeam on Jesus, following him down, being being a part of that, not having that change of mind, and then not being like, hey, I wonder what else I might have been wrong about. I can't believe that. Just been a part of this execution of, of this person and have this 180 change you want to tell me that guy wasn't going hold on a second okay maybe maybe there were some other things i wasn't right about and then carrying that on with him through the rest of his life to go hey i was wrong about that pretty important thing i wonder what else in the 15 years since i might want to reevaluate i might want to see what could change Paul, <laughs> I know you do, and you've helped me love Paul better, so I appreciate that. Were you being sarcastic? Yeah. Oh, sometimes you do like Paul, and we had that really great, we had that really great conversation like a year ago, where Natalie Webb had a really great conversation with us about Paul and helped me reframe some of the ways I felt about Paul coming out of the the, the five to seven years previous to that. So that now when I read Paul, I, I try to do a better job of seeing Paul through the lens of Jesus instead of Jesus through the lens of Paul. That's been important for me because Paul comes to this place in Athens, to this place where the thinkers and movers and shakers come to talk and share ideas. He's like, hey guys, I, I got one for you. He's got all these like deities and priorities and all this stuff, but you got this one that says to the unknown God. So it's not even like you're saying there might not be one out there you don't know about. Let me tell you what I think about this one and get some feedback from you because that's what they did in this place. That's where you went to do that kind of thing. He's acknowledging that they have a large number of things, ideas, and, and deities they can give their time, talents, and money and devotion to. But what about this unknown God that you guys have a statue for already? It's almost like he's saying, hey, like you already know you might be missing out on something. So what if you just gave some thought to that? And that's not unlike the world we happen to live in today a little bit. There are all kinds of, we live in a very pluralistic culture. I wasn't always great with that. I'm in a place now where it kind of makes a little more sense to me. There are people with different experiences and backgrounds and traditions that they come from that shape who they are, the same way that those things shape who I am. A lot of you, a lot of us have, have, have had an experience like that in our past, a conversion experience, right? We, we talk about that in, in that um, capital E evangelical world, that that's one of the focal points, is having that conversion or salvation experience. Would have been part of like what you called your capital T testimony. Most things have a capital in, in that, those circles. Like It has to have a capital so you know it's that specific thing. Your conversion experience, your testimony, your salvation story. Even when, the middle, even when I was in the middle of it, I was like uncomfortable, though, with the idea that it was singular, that it was a one-time thing. One of the experiences that I had um, when I went to college, my, my degree just says <laughs> Bachelor of Arts in the Bible. <laughs> it didn't get much, like, we didn't get real narrow in it. Um, 
but as I did that, that was one of the things where I was like, ah, maybe some of this is like full of it. And one of them came from this experience when I was sitting in a Greek class and our professor, I can't tell you what passage it was. I'd have to go back and look at it. But he's talking about the phrasing that's used that says like, hey, uh, you're saved and now you do all these things. He's like, hey, but guess what? The way that's actually written says that like you are, you were saved, you are saved and you are being saved. It was, it is a, like a continuum, a spectrum, and it doesn't end. It doesn't have like the end points on it. It has the arrows on it, which in math means it goes forever. I learned that because my wife is a math teacher. But what, what I, thank you, I appreciate that. What I walked away from that going is like, oh, like we all know that it's not a one-time thing, but we just pretend like it is? I don't understand that. And so again, that led into this process of conversion of thought about the way that I interact with the text, with the Bible, and, and, and understand what it is and how it can work in my life. And so I, I wonder, for the people in this room, when, when, when you, when we come to the teachings of Jesus, and when we look at some of these stories in the New Testament, if, if we really think or really believe or really have considered that the early church, that the early Christians would have accepted singular one-time conversion, because I don't think they would have or could have. It wasn't, it wasn't the way that their brains were wired. It wasn't the way they were formed at the time. They were formed for perpetual conversion. They were formed to understand that the way we look at and understand and interpret the text can and should change. That's the world you came out of where um, that, then it's like no wonder that, that changing your attitude or understanding or practice or belief can seem or feel scary. It's either almost like ex- almost or explicitly stated that if you do that, you'll lose everything that comes with it. You'll lose community. You'll lose people. You'll lose support. You'll lose love. So don't chase perpetual conversion. It'll lead to temptation and emptiness. If that's the message you were given, it's the message I was given. If that's the experience you had, it's the experience that I had. I'm sorry. The God who, who was active in the psalm this morning, the God who was revealed to the centurion that Paul talks with the Athenians about, um, did not and would not support that. I can't believe that. So where does that leave us? We talk often about being a small but mighty community, and we are. We're a community that I believe embraces perpetual conversion. We support it, and we support each other through it. It's a grace I've been given by this community more than once. It's a grace I've seen given over and over again to the people who call this place their spiritual home. What do we do with that? We look at the life of someone like Our Lady of Perpetual Conversion, Dorothy Day, and find encouragement that she was committed to her causes even though she was hopelessly flawed like many of us. We can examine our own conversions and remember that the whole... That, um, oh, no, it doesn't say Holy Spirit. Uh, we can remember that, holy shit, look how far I've come. You ever get those two confused? Is it just me? No. <laughs> Look at how much I've grown. We can find hope in the active presence of God in our life. And we can remember that even the most far from God, as we might have considered the centurion to be or the people in Athens to be, can come to the understanding and appreciation of the divine. 
So, so my confession this morning, my perpetual conversion to now has led me to a place where I'm okay with telling people that I'm a capital C Christian and using that word. And I wasn't for a long time. I was scared of it. Because some Christians make it a crappy thing to call yourself. But I'm in a place where my hope and my intention and what I've been gifted by this community, and I hope you have as well, is that I inhabit the space around me, I interact with the people around me in such a way that it says, hey, maybe it's different than that guy I saw on the news. I super hope that it's different than that. Aurelia and I were talking um, a while back, and I said, how the hell are you still a Christian? And her answer was much the same as mine, and it's that it's the framework that I was given that works best for me now. I said earlier, one of the bigger reasons is that I was born in Texas in December 1987. What else was I going to be? I was born to a white family in Texas in December 1987. We'll get a little more granular there. But it also goes back to this is the way that I've been given to view and interact with the world. I've examined some other ways, and I see value in them, and I've even incorporated some of them into what it means to follow the teachings of Jesus. But it's the best way that gives me space for perpetual conversion in my life now, to understand that it doesn't have to be one way. There may not be a single right way, and that that's okay. In my faith life, faith life, I'm at a place in my cycle where I'm okay being who I am, where I am, to the point where I actually do tell people about it now. I tell people about this community and about these people and about what we do here and about what's important I tell people all the time, this is the only kind of church that I could see myself being a part of. And we're like the only one in the area. So it's this or nothing for me. Might be the same for some of you as well. Maybe it's something you've felt the need to have a little bit of permission for as well, to be comfortable in who you are and where you are. So my hope is that as you consider what perpetual conversion might look like for you, in the framework of your faith, that you be reminded that this is a place that embraces that and loves you. I'm going to pray, and then I don't know what's next on the guide, so whoever's next, be ready, I guess. (laughs) Isn't it? It was really smooth, I felt. God, thank you for today and the opportunity to um, share not only who you are, but who you have been to me and how I've seen that come to life in this community. I know that I'm not the only one who's had those experiences with these people and and some of the other outside scenarios we talked about. My hope is that we're able to examine our own lives, see where conversion has happened, understand that your hope your desire for us is to grow grow in love grow in peace amen